Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. I'm going to have you stand with me. I'm going to be reading to you from the words of Scripture. This is from the 12th chapter of the letter to the church in Corinth. So stand with us one more time, and we'll read these words together. My job is to help you go, oh, I understand those words a little bit better, and I'm owning them a little bit better. I'm going to go live them a little bit better. That's my job in the next few minutes that I have with you. So hear these words together. The body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, ah, because I am a hand, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body was just an eyeball, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was just an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our other parts don't require. God has so composed the body that there may be no division, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. All right, those are the words of the Lord. You can be seated, and we will do this. All right, first word up on the screen, super tight community. Has anybody heard us use this word before? This is just the Bostonian way of saying we are committed to living tight together. Take your hand and do this, and it's like that is the kind of culture that we are trying to build. Why? The first reason is because the Bible gives us a vision for this. As soon as you begin to see what it looks like to be the people of God, you see this. In the older covenant and in the new, they knew each other's names and faces. They lived close. We want our community to be shaped by the words of scripture, and they lived super tight. But there's also another reason why. It's because you need it. You need community. I've got some friends who live a few towns over too far to be a part of our church. And they've been here in mass for several years. And they honestly said, hey, we still don't have community. The people that we have 
met either want to just go party and get blasted, and that's like not our thing, or they just kind of want to fix us or analyze us, but not love us. We've not yet found community to be a part of. That's very common in American culture with our screens and our modern way of viewing things. We are at distance from people when we need super tight, wicked close community. We want to build that here. But there is a problem, and it is this one. Super tight community is very hard. It is very hard to even get it started because it costs something. And we really don't want to be vulnerable and walk in the light with people. And we like our schedule the way that it is so we don't create space for relationships. It's very hard for community to even begin. But it is also very hard for a community to maintain, to stick with. What is the maximum amount of time that you would ever want to stay inside of a Sephora? Who says I could do that for days? Just give me a bunk bed in the back and I'm good. Who says it's like nine minutes and I'm out? What is the maximum amount of time that you would be willing to stay in a Chuck E. Cheese? Who's like, I want to sleep there in the tube thing up at the top? Who's like me and you're like, I went to a birthday party. I didn't even get to the gift giving because I had to get out of there. Super tight community is like that. There is a time limit on it. If you were ever able to stat how long Americans stay in churches, you would see it's not very long. We move, we move, we move three years, five years, because sticking with community is very, very hard. Why? Number one, you're going to be sinned against. You're going to be hurt. People are going to do you wrong. It's just going to happen. It can't not happen in community with sinners. And that is hard. Number two, people are going to annoy you. There's going to be people that you just do not click with. Have you had that experience? They bother me. I probably bother them, but I don't care because they bothered me first. They're difficult. And that's the way that they feel about you. This is true of every community. With our women who were discipling in Kalos track, in the night on conflict, we always have them read a section from this novel, Station Eleven. It's got one of the best sentences ever. It's a dystopian novel about a pandemic that hit the world and 99% of people died. And now there's this traveling orchestra of gypsies that just goes from town to town. Just trust me, it was a good book. Here's the sentence. The problem with the traveling symphony was the same problem suffered by every group of people everywhere since before the collapse. Undoubtedly, since well before the beginning of recorded history. And then it's the longest paragraph ever in a novel, and she just starts delineating all the beef in the orchestra. The first violin does not like the tuba player, who really does not like the second trumpeter, who cannot stand the percussionist, and nobody likes the director. And she says, that's not just this community. 
That's every community since the beginning of recorded history. And it's not just unbelieving, godless community. It is true of your church. You know this, right? My mom gave me the book, The Mermaid Chair, to read over the vacation. It was spectacular. But part of the deal is that there's a monk in the book, and he's gone to live in a monastery. And before he got there, he thought, it's going to be so peaceful and happy. These men have literally given up everything to go for God together. How can it not be super tight community? And his experience was... It's the same thing as anywhere else. Even monks get on each other's nerves and sin against each other. You feel it? Church community is no different. And the reason we're talking about this text today is because this is especially true for our church in person on YouTube right now. Huge threat to our unity. There's two big reasons for that. The first one is, I know you can't tell if you're here this morning, but we're getting bigger. It's, it's been a trend, and it's continued through this pandemic. There's almost 250 names of men, women, and children who would say, I'm a seven-mile road person, or I'm connected to that church in Melrose. That's way more people than we have ever, ever had before. What does more people mean? More problems, more personalities. So I have this sacred invitation to do the member interviews with people who are new. Tim, Matt, and I split that up, and they're the sweetest thing, and you get to hear a profession of faith. And there's a 100 things going on in my head, and you know what one of them is? As I talk to somebody for an hour or two, back in the corner of my mind, I go, oh, no. They're totally not going to get along with this person. So like maybe I'll be talking to Jen and I'll be like, oh, shoot, her and Stephanie, they're not going to be tight. What am I going to do? She's becoming a member. She's already a member. We got problems. More members, more personalities, more opportunity for conflict. And it's not just bigger. It's also we are doing life together longer, longer. Being together longer makes it much harder to stay super tight. You know this? Have you ever seen when a marriage ends after like 15 or 20 or 25 years? Have you seen this? And you go, whoa, how did that happen? They've had all this time to figure it out. I assumed they would be tighter than ever. And that's not how it works, right? We've got good friends in the city, and we've kind of watched them raise their children. They're about 10 years older than us. And maybe two years ago, Grace was like, do you know that they're divorced? He just left, gone? And I was so caught off guard because I was like, after all that time raising these two kids, how did they just suddenly lose their super tightness? What's the answer? Time wore them down. <laughs> And changing circumstances that they didn't flex with, time can drive you apart. It's the same thing here, right? So like Matt and Kelsey are at NEIT in Providence, Rhode Island, right? And lived in a dorm. And I remember meeting Matt's roommate the first day he was there. And I was like, oh, he seems like a nice kid. 
I hope he's not watching this, but it turns out not so much. And they didn't have great, super tight community, but it was all good. Why? Because it's just a college dorm situation and you can just transition that out, right? He didn't have to live with this kid for a long time. That's not the way that church life works. If we don't stick with this long haul, we're going to be useless on our mission. But as soon as we commit to the long haul, it's going to get hard to maintain relational intimacy. Into that space, Christ speaks to us through his word. He comes at our hearts with a vision for maintaining super tightness in this church, even as we get bigger and older. All right, before I hit you with the super big idea I don't want you to miss, I have to give you some others that are going to set it up for you. They all come out of the words of Scripture. So I'm going to give you a big idea and then the verses that it comes from and talk with you about it. Here's the first one. A local church is like a human body. And this is how the Spirit said it. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is how your body works, right? There's a unity. It's all tied together. It all moves together. And yet there is so much diversity of the members in your body. You are not a nose or a leg or a spleen. You are a body, a unity with diversity. How many different limbs and organs and members are there in a human body? Anybody know? Usually our 10-year-olds have all this stuff memorized. It's like a lot of stuff going on in here. And it's not egalitarian, right? Your spleen is a totally different thing than your lungs, than your colon, than your ring finger, than your ankle. Completely different sizes, shapes, purposes. It's a wild collection of diverse parts. And the Spirit says to us, guess what? That's what your church is like. All these totally different members, different personalities, different experiences, different flow, different jams, different insights, different passions, different giftings, they all get slammed together in one body. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis gets really heated about three quarters of the way through at the way that his culture had used the word members and how it has nothing to do with how the Bible uses the word members. In his culture, uh, England in the 1950s, members had come to mean just like interchangeable, anonymous, faceless parts. Like we're all members of Costco and our membership number is all that sets us apart. Um, when I was thinking of it, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, he doesn't know what stormtroopers are yet, but it's like stormtroopers. Stormtroopers all are the same exact height. You notice that? They're wearing the same exact gear. Dave will correct me, but I think it's the same exact person on the inside. They're just clones from Boba Fett or something like that. Anyway, it's all the same, right? Do stormtroopers have names? They don't even have names. They just have numbers. There's actually that super powerful scene in that whichever one it was, when the boss says, number 7279, fall in line. And he goes, my name is Poe. Did I get it? 
My name is Finn. (laughs) You feel it? I have a name. I'm not like everyone else. That's how your body is. That's how the church is. We're not like stormtroopers. We all don't look and sound and flow the way everyone else does. We are individuals, totally different. All right, if that is the case, why did you just get very nervous when I said that to you? Because what's the temptation in any community with diverse people? Rivalry, competition, division, cliques, factions. Hey, who's better? Who's more important? Who's our most valuable member? Is it her? Is it her? I definitely think it's him. That junk creeps in, especially in our culture, right? We're obsessed with rankings. You can Google top 10 movies streaming on Amazon right now, and they tell you these are the 10 ones you want to watch. In the NBA, every week they put out power rankings, and they tell you here's the teams that are the most and the best. The Forbes 500 tells you these are the real power brokers on earth right now. They matter. If that's how church works, what happens? You get tears, you get factions, you get cliques. And so the Spirit gives us a second super important truth, and this was it. We rise and fall together. We rise and fall together. Here's how the Spirit said it. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you feel that? Do we have any runners in the room? I had to become a runner in coronavirus. I told you this, right? Because they locked down the gym and they put stuff on the hoops so you can't play pickup. And I had to stay in shape for the day when I can again, if my Achilles are both still in shape. So I just started running just three days a week. I'm just running through the streets of Melrose. Um, Pauly Brogna is like a serious runner in our church. He ran the virtual Boston Marathon. He's such an entrepreneur, too. He started a whole running club in his neighborhood. I got invited to the Instagram page, the Boulderwood Running Club. So he runs like crazy. Two years ago, I think, I'm pretty sure, he ran the real Boston Marathon that ends at the Lenox Hotel. Imagine if you were at the end of that race when Pauly is chugging in, right? And it's weird how he does it because his legs are like the skinniest things you've ever seen in your life on a 6'3 guy, but he runs 26.2 miles. Do you go up to him at the end and go, hey, legs, nice job. You did it. Way to go, legs. Is that how you would address him? Of course not. What do you do? You go, hey, Pauly, you just ran 26.2 miles. You did, all of you. Way to go. You feel that? Um, This is so exciting, but Seven Mile Road in Houston invited Patty to come down and speak to their women at their big women's retreat that they're doing. Let's say she goes down there and she nails it, and let's say that, Jess, you listened to her talks down there. Are you going to go look at her and go, hey, Patty's voice, you were so great down in Houston. Way to go vocal cords. You would never do that, right? You're going to go, hey, Patty, awesome job. You did so well. You did. Do you feel that? 
We had the best New Year's Eve dinner. It was my mom's 70th birthday on New Year's Eve. She's a New Year's Eve baby. And we had immediate family and some boyfriends and girlfriends over. And Grace just made this stunning meal that we shared together. Did I go up to her and look at her hands and go, hey, hands, way to make that food. Good job, hands. You could have done that all by yourself. Of course not. What did I say? Hey, you just made a beautiful meal. You did, all of you. Does everyone feel that? That's how this works. This church rises and falls together. It's not my church or your church or his church or her church. We are the body of Christ. All right, then there was this third truth, and it's supposed to take your breath away and really cause you to fear a little bit. And I want you to feel this with me. And here it is. The Spirit said it like this. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. We're supposed to pause right here. We're supposed to feel the weight of this truth, the sacredness of belonging to a church. God has set this up. It's true of your physical human body. Uh, we did Kalos track last year with Jamie Sparling. She is an anesthesiologist. And it was so beautiful to hear her tell her story of moving toward that field. And it's her love for the human body. But in her love for the human body, there's an adoration and a worship of God. Jamie understands that God is the one that formed the body to work the way that it does. And when she injects medicine in someone's spine and it numbs their body so that their life can be saved through surgery, God put the spine where it was and the skeletal system and the endocrine system. God did it. It's the same way with this church that you are a part of. Every single member, now Jen and Madison included, are meant to be here. God brought them here. Now, I know there's exceptions to that rule. Sometimes there are wolves, and it's the shepherd's job to identify and discipline and remove them from the flock. But that is the exception to the rule. For the most, most part, if someone is a member of Seven Mile Road in Melrose, God put them in the body. Do you feel the weight of that? That means you don't get rid of them. That means you learn to love them. That's how family works, right? So make sure you talk to Kevin and Bridget after, but they're here on their year-long time in the States. God gave Kevin and Bridget four children, Savannah, Malachi, Abigail, and Caleb. They didn't get to go, well, these three were really down with, but this other one, I don't know where they came from. No, thank you. That's not how that works, right? They all belong because God has given them all to them, and they're going to figure that thing out. The way that works with your body and with the family, it's unbelievable. It's breathtaking. It's hard. That's how it works in the life of a church. Okay, if you own those three truths, now I'm going to drop the big bomb on you that we finish with. It's going to change everything for the trajectory of unity in our church, and it is this one. If all that is true, here's what I want you to own. Here it is. It would be so awful 
for one member to ever say to the other or send the message to the other. We don't need you. We don't need you. I was surprised that no one cried when I was reading the scripture. Nobody did that I could tell when you heard these words. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. The head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. The idea that those words would even be spoken is supposed to bring tears to your eyes and just grief to your heart that one member of the body would say to the other, we don't need you. We don't need you. Now we know that can never happen in the real body, right? If your hands ever said to your lungs, hey, you're shaped weird, you're pink, I don't like pink, we don't need you, stop it. What happens to the body if the lungs go, okay, I guess I don't belong. The hands don't get very far. We know what happens when one part of your body breaks down. The whole thing suffers, right? <laughs> About 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I was playing pickup and I went up for a shot and this kid who jumped and he tried to block the shot and he just blocked my head instead. And he smashed my head down like this, boom. And he deadened a couple of tiny little neck muscles. He deadened them so they weren't functioning. So what happened was then the longer muscle from my neck to my shoulder blade had to do the work of those muscles, and I pulled it. I pulled it like taut. I didn't sleep for two days because of one muscle, the long muscle. Until that loosened up, nothing else could function in my body, right? Your body knows it needs every part of your body to function. And yet, for some reason, we are tempted to think in church, not the case. We'd be better off without some of you. That's why these words are in your Bible, because we go there. You realize that God has put people in this church who are not like you, who don't roll like you, who don't see things like you see things, and they annoy you, who you are going to think that you are better than, holier than, more important than. You can't even really see the point of them being here and mucking this thing down and slowing it. You begin to wish they actually weren't here. And whether you say it or you just think it or you just believe it, these are the words that will come out. We don't need them. We don't need them. We don't need them. Why would you ever say those words? Why would you say them? Here's a couple of reasons why. One is self-sufficiency. Are you like this? I got this. I don't need anybody. You ever been around somebody who's like a ninja at something, cooking, analyzing game tape, playing the piano? You ever see how they get frustrated when there's like a novice around them or somebody's in their way and the temptation is for them to be like what? Can you just get out of the studio, please? Can you just get out of the kitchen? I don't need you. We don't need you. We think we got this. How about this one? Elitism. We think we are something super special, gifted. 
I prayed more than him. I studied harder than she did. I'm more eloquent. I'm smarter. We don't really need them. You need me. Happens all the time in the life of churches and communities, right? I tell you a funny story. My sophomore year of college, I was at an undergraduate Christian school. And so they had chapel and they needed people to sing, you know, for the chapel. So every year they would recruit students to come and be a part of the band or whatever. So I don't know, like on a whim, I was sitting with my buddy and I was like, I want to go try out for that thing. So I go running over to the musical thing and a bunch of kids and the people in charge are vetting the singing. I forget the song. Maybe it was Amazing Grace. I don't know. But they were like, all right, you're next. Sing this song. So like I can carry a tune just fine. Does everyone know what melody is? Melody, that's the easy part, right? I could do melody. And I got a big personality. So, you know, like I got into it, um, sang the song. And they were like, all right, good job. Next person, whatever. Then they go, okay, you, you, and you, three of you, come up to the stage. We want you to harmonize. And I was like, what's that? No clue what harmony was. And it was like the most painful three and a half minutes you have ever heard. And uh, they were like, hey, thanks, but we're all set. And uh, it's funny because I went and I wrote an article for the school newspaper called Harmony Humbled Me. And like I told the story of that experience. And I learned, oh, you're a writer, not a singer. So it was a good experience for me. But I just remember thinking, oh, I don't know how to do harmony. They don't need me. I don't belong in this community. They are much better and more gifted than me. And that's what happens in church life. We look and we go, hey, you don't measure up to where the rest of us are at. And then, of course, less intense but totally true is annoyance. You just, we don't need him because he annoys me. You know what this feels like, right? So Pastor Justin worships in Malden, but I intersect with him a ton. And he's, it's not possible for me to love someone more than I love him or trust someone more than I trust him. But he also annoys the, the heck out of me. And it's because our gifts are super different, right? He is high context, <clears throat> which means he wants to know the backstory on everything. He's always like reading Winston Churchill and all this crap. And I'm like... Why, why are you reading that? And why are you slowing me down by asking me a million questions about the history? I just have a vision for the future. Can we just go ahead? And what goes through my heart in those meetings? What goes through my heart in those meetings? We don't need Justin in here right now. He's slowing us down with his history buff stuff. If he wasn't here, we would be better off. Do you feel that? Do you feel it? Um, both of the women that I have worked with, it's been the best thing ever. But first it was Heather, and now it's Sarah. They are high harmony people. Do you know what that means? It really matters to them that everybody gets along. Like, it really matters to them. And, like, I love people, but that's not, like, as high of an important thing to me because I'm like, but we got to get the thing done. And so we have these conversations I have for three years and now this year where they beautifully always bring up, well, what about so-and-so, or how will they experience that, or what about the person, whatever, and it's truly the best thing, but in the moment, what goes through my heart? I wish I was just making this decision on my own, because I really don't care about them. I know what's best. Why are we worried about everybody's feelings? 
and see if I let it bother me or if they let it bother them, then we'll drift apart. Do you see how that happens? Self-sufficiency or elitism or annoyance and pride, it will drive us apart. And what does the Bible say? Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever let your heart say, we're better off without them. We don't need them. Why is the Spirit so aggressive with you in this? Why? Why is this such a big deal that I would take 30 minutes to talk to you about it? Because the deleterious effects to that kind of a spirit in a growing church are awful. Think about them with me. Here's one of them. It hurts the person terribly. How many people play in a basketball game? Anybody know? Ten, right? All right, so once coronavirus is over, if you want to come at 6.30 to the Melrose Y on Friday mornings, all the old guys get together to play ball. You know who I always feel terrible for? The 11th guy who rolls in because we're making teams, and as soon as we get to 10, that's all we need. And inevitably, the 11th guy gets there, and you have to say to him, hey, buddy, we don't need you. And then you should see the poor guy's face when he puts his head down and he walks over to the bench. Oh, it's such a hurtful thing to be told. We don't need you. The fact that you showed up doesn't matter because we're good without you. How horrible would it be to be a part of a church where when you enter its community, you are sent the message, hey, we don't need you. We're better off without you. We could take or leave you. It's a horrible message. Here's the second thing that does. It hurts the work. You don't need me to expound on this, right? But can you imagine me without Sarah or Sarah without me? What happens to our fruitfulness as a team? If you remove either one of us, it screeches to a halt, and it just bends in one direction. Can you imagine a church with only a certain type of person, only a certain personality is valued. The work is so much shoddier and weaker if everyone is not told, you matter, we need you. And then of course it hurts the witness. I've lived in you know, greater Boston all these years, I've lived in Melrose for the last 20. Can I tell you something about the communities in Melrose? It's all like-minded people. So there's a running club that runs by here on Sunday mornings, and they're all like each other. They're all into the whole, let me go run 10 miles. They have that affinity together. If you go over to Tapas on a Friday night at 10, you're going to get a bunch of people who are just like each other. Same complaints, same habits. That's why they're drawn together. It's okay. Sometimes that happens. Church is not supposed to be that way. God is working a different kind of miracle in the life of a church. People who otherwise would not roll together, run together, hoop together, drink together. They are put together in community. People who don't fit, fit because of the grace of God. Because they have set their hearts to say, I need you. We need you. I need you. When someone intersects with our church, 
it blows their mind. How could all these different people with different personalities and different backgrounds live together in super tight community? How does it happen? It happens because of the grace of God. If we won't have it, if we're going to chase a certain type of person out from this community and say, hey, you don't belong, we don't need you, it dampens, muddies, hurts what's supposed to be the witness of the church. And so I need you asking yourself today as we step into this year, is this sentiment a part of your life with us? Have you looked left and right and been like, Kelsey, Abby, Gordon, we don't need them. It would be so great if they didn't come back next week. If that has been a part of your internal makeup, then we need you to just bring it to the Lord and say, can you please murder that thought? Instead, can you convince me that a body has different parts, that they rise and fall together, that you did this, and every one of us is totally indispensable? I want us to go for that together. It's going to be very hard to do. You're going to need to learn to affirm people who are different than you, to not see their difference and go, ugh, but to see it and go, whoa, that's not me, but I love who you are. You're going to have to learn to forgive people. There's just no other way to get started in church life. It's impossible to even begin. If you're going to build a mountain of grudges in your heart because he stinks and she's a jerk and they hurt me, it's over. We can't move forward. You have to settle in your heart. When I'm hurt, I'm going to forgive. That doesn't mean we let anyone become a victim of abuse in the life of the church. It just means that we live from this gospel principle of God has forgiven me. I'm going to forgive others. And of course, you're going to need to learn to forbear, right? Just tell God, can you humble me so that my stupid petty preferences and annoyances don't divide this community. Can you, in fact, change my heart to be running around and just going, Matt, we need you so bad. Marilyn, we need you so bad. Judah, we need you. Adrian, we need you. That's the spirit that I'm praying for us this year. Let's go for it together. Let's pray. Father, we think we're all set on our own. We don't need anybody. We think we're better than others. We're so proud that we can't even deign to be annoyed. I confess that sin to you. I pray that you would forgive it in me and in us. Lord, I pray that when the 200 plus of us are actually back together in worship, we would be shocked at how you have maintained relational intimacy and tight community through this pandemic. I pray that our work and our witness would be healthy and bright because we have settled in our hearts to say, we need each other. This is your way. I pray that you would give us hearts to embrace it. Hear my prayer. Amen.